Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Today I get to continue our series. We started a series last week called What's In It For Us. How many of you really knew it and how many of you looked at the screen? <laughs> You're like, I looked at the screen. Last week we started an incredible series that I truly believe is going to change our church forever what's in it for us and what we're doing with this series is we're wrapping our minds around what it is to live a life of generosity not just to give because as I said last week you can give and not be generous told you my son got all that candy from Halloween slash hallelujah night (laughs) and then I had to guilt him into giving me some of the candy and he had the Snickers and gave me like I mean, not even even any of the inside, just a little piece. And he's like, here. <laughs> and he gave, and I'm trying to get in his skull, generosity. And what's crazy about generosity, this is just a review for y'all that missed class last week. Generosity is something you have to learn. It does not come natural. How many of you know selfishness comes natural? You were born selfish. You didn't have to take a class on being selfish. You came out the womb knowing how to say these words. Mine. You were born selfish in your Adam nature. But how many know when you get born again, all of a sudden generosity comes in your spirit. And for whatever reason, you want to give now, and we're learning how to grow in that generosity. And so we said God has a system. This is just review. We said God has a system that ultimately God wants to get something from him to you through to somebody else. From him to you through to somebody else. If you take the you from the you, the S from the someone, you got us. Yes, that's the mindset of a generous person. What's in it for us? Not just what's in it for me, selfishness. Not even just what's in it for you. What's in it for us? And you can't even spell generous without ooh, without us. Without us. Well, I told you last week, some people are not generous. They're gener- general. General. Because it stops with you. And we're going, Lord, how do I get what you've so blessed me with? Not just my resources, but encouragement, love, let it come from me to someone else. So that's what we're coming around in this series. I want you to stand with me. This is going to be the second installment of this series, and it's going to be good. Help me thank God for Sam, who is honestly one of the best and the baddest people on the keys I've ever seen in my life told him in the first service he's got the best smile too I don't know him and Joe Osteen one of them have the best smile it's up for debate but I love Sam's smile I love his heart I love his spirit and uh thank you sir thank you sir I'm good I'm good are you ready are you ready six people are ready already the rest will join in later go with me to Mark chapter 10 Mark chapter 10 And I'm going to look at verses 17 through 22, the gospel according to Mark chapter 10. And this is, in my opinion, without exaggeration, perhaps one of the scariest verses of Scripture and uh, even sometimes the most misunderstood verse of Scripture. And I want us to unpack it today. The gospel according to Mark chapter number 10, starting at verse 17, and we'll land at verse number 22. When you're ready to read it, say, "Yeah." yeah. If you need some time, say, hold up. All right. Somebody said, I'm good. All right. Let's look at what it says. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. I love that because I love the Gospels, and that's classic Jesus. You pull up on Jesus with a question, rarely does he give you an answer. He'll hit you with another question that will take you deeper. He goes, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. What a flex right there. Really, dude? <laughs> you're talking to Jesus, you're like, I got it. I'm perfect. Generally, people are like, now, you know I've never claimed to be a perfect person. This dude is opposite. Now, you know I'm perfect. I've done that. I've kept all the commandments. He said, yeah, I've, I've done that since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, this is critical, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. I told you that to me that is one of the scariest verses of Scripture, because you have to understand, by biblical record, this is the only instant in the Bible where Jesus told a person, come follow me, and they said no. Generally, every single person that Jesus even offered the invitation to roll with him, they dropped everything and said, I'm with you. This is the first person that got an invitation to get an internship, a discipleship with the creator of the universe, and he said, no. He walked away. He got the invitation. Not even everybody got the invitation. Remember the dude that was crazy that he cast the demon out of? And then once he got calm, he was like, let me go with you. And Jesus was like, no, nah, fam, just go home. Just, just, just go, go to your family. He didn't even get the invitation. This guy gets an invitation to follow Jesus. And at the invitation, drops his head and walks away sad. What would make a person turn down an invitation to follow Jesus? Perhaps the answer is in my title today because I want to preach to you for about six and a half hours <laughs> from this title, The Treasure Trap. The Treasure Trap. Look at your neighbor, whichever one looks the best. I'll let you pick. <laughs> I'm kidding. Come on, just look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, the treasure trap is real. Come on, find you another neighbor. Say, other neighbor. Oh, neighbor, I hope you're not trapped. <laughs> if you believe God's going to speak, give him some praise in advance right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Speak to our hearts today. And Lord, because I did not pray it last week, I will pray it this week. I'm asking today, humbly, that you would favor your team, America's team the Dallas Cowboys to defeat every dirty bird from Atlanta in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I messed up last week, had to fix it. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The treasure, <laughs> the treasure trap. Be quiet, Matt. I, uh, I thought I should let you know today that I absolutely, I positively love my job. I, I feel like I have 
Ooh, the greatest job on planet Earth. I get to get up every Sunday and just tell you good news. The good news of the gospel. Like, if you were worried about me being frustrated on the job today, I am not frustrated. I am cool. I am calm. I'm chillaxed because I love what I do. This is what I was created to do. This is what I was put on the earth to do. I love my job. In fact, it's not even really fair to call this a job because it's not a job for me. It's a calling. It's a calling. And there's a vast difference between a career and a calling. A career is what you get paid to do, but a calling is the thing you were made to do. Oh, come on. It's the thing that when you do it, you say, I was put on the earth to do this right here. It's the thing that when you do it, it brings you life to do it. Your soul comes alive when you do it. Nobody has to encourage you to do it. In fact, one of my favorite things to watch is to watch somebody do the thing God put them on this earth to do. I don't care what it is. I don't care how menial the task. When I see somebody that is doing what they were created to do and they are flowing in their gift and in their calling, ooh, I just start clapping on the inside because they were put on the earth to do that. They were created to do it. It's like watching a fish in the water. It's like watching an eagle soar in the sky. It's like watching a soccer mom at Target. They were created to be in that environment, and that's what I was created to do. I was created to preach the gospel. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Like, for real, for real. Can't imagine doing anything else. Like, my father, he's here. He um, served the city of Dallas as a fireman for 32 years. 32 years faithfully served as a fireman. I am named after that man. I'm named after my, that man. I honor him. I respect him. But ain't no way in the world I could do what he did for 32 years. I couldn't do it for 32 minutes. For real, go into a building that roaches and ants and everybody's running out and you running in talking about, I got you. No, 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 no. That is not my call. I still say to this day, if your house starts burning up, make sure you call the right Robert Madu. Yes, call my dad, the one that served the city of Dallas for 32 years. Don't call me if you're looking for me to go and get you out the fire because that is not my ministry at all. If you're in the fire, I'm going to stand on the outside and I'm going to encourage you a whole lot. I'm going to say, hey, Lord, I know you're in the fire right now, but you're coming out as pure gold. You're not the only one that's ever been in a fire. Y'all remember Shadrach? Meshach and Abednego they were in a fire too and if God got them out then he I said he he not me but he get you out too I'm just saying I know my lane I know my ministry I'm, I'm created to do this this is not a career. This is a calling. But to be completely transparent today, because I want to talk to you about my journey as it relates to treasure, to finances. One of the most interesting places to be in is when the path of career and calling begin to merge together. What do you do when you start getting paid to do what you were created to do? When all of a sudden passion and purpose and provision have all collided together, not by your own doing or by manipulation, but simply by the sovereignty of God, and now you're getting paid to do what God put you on this earth to do. That is an interesting thing. That is actually a conundrum.
As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll never forget when I was 18. When I was 18, it was the first time I started preaching while I was 16. When I was 18, I'll never forget getting a call to preach at a church outside of my home church. I will never forget it. Remember like it was yesterday. It was a church in Grapevine. They called me, and I'm telling you, this is my first time preaching outside of my home church. When I tell you, it was a holiness week for me. I fasted the whole week. I had sackcloth and ashes. I was speaking in King James. These and thous. I was in Bible college. We spent our whole lunch at Bible college freestyling, freestyling at lunch, and I used to kill people just freestyling, just freestyling. They're like, Robert, get them. I said, not this week, not this week. Got to be holy. I'm in consecration. I remember just being so nervous, so nervous. This is my first time preaching outside of my home church, and I get in there. Oh, youth room was packed, packed, 23 kids, packed. Got up there like I was Bishop Jakes, had a rag and everything. Finished preaching, preaching my heart. I even remember my sermon title. I didn't even get what the first service is. I think my, t- my title was Check Your Mind Space. My space, my, anyway. <laughs> I preached that thing. I don't know if it's theologically correct. I prayed it on YouTube, but I preached it like I felt it. And never forget finishing the service that night. Pastor took me out to eat. After we finished eating, he handed me an envelope. I open up the envelope. It is a check for $200, a $50 gift card to Old Navy, and a $50 gift card to Chili's. I will never forget it. <laughs> you should have seen me that next week on my college campus. I'm like, yo, Chili's is on me tonight. Everybody get extra queso. But I remember that moment. I remember calling my father in the car. It's the first time this has ever happened. And I said to my dad, they pay you to do this. They pay you. To do, I had no frame of reference for honorarium. I couldn't spell it. I still can't. But it was the first time I'd ever gotten paid. And I'll never forget that moment. As a matter of fact, I don't ever want to forget that moment. Because a lot has transpired since that 18-year-old kid got their check that day. I've gotten a lot of envelopes since then. A lot more than $200. And what I've come to learn and realize is that every single check is a check. It's not just paper. It is a check to see, is this going to master me? Or am I going to master it? Is my value and identity going to be found in this? How am I going to steward this? Because although it is in my hand, It's not mine. Every single check, hear me, it is a check. And this is what we're trying to understand in this series is how do you steward what God has given you? I talked about the elephant in the room last week. If you want to have any subject that makes church people get all tight, just start talking about money. Just start talking about money. And I get it. I get it. And I apologize to those of you who've experienced churches where there was uh, not good stewardship and there was manipulation. I get it. I get it. But I wonder if one of the reasons we get so err about it is because we don't like people touching our idols. Don't you mess with our idols. I wonder if that's the reason. Because the reality is if Jesus is our model and we're looking at the life of Jesus, you realize he talked about money more than he talked about prayer and more than he talked about faith. Of the 40 parables that Jesus told, 11 of the 40 was him talking about finances. 
He was using money as a metaphor to check your priorities, to check what we value in this earth. Metaphors like a master had three servants and entrusted to them his goods and five bags of gold and two bags of gold and one bag of gold. Metaphors and similes to try to get you to understand what do you value? What do you prioritize? He talks about a master who forgave the debt of somebody that owed a lot and the person that owed a little bit got his debt forgiven but the one who had his debt forgiven the most is the one that was thankful the most using money as a metaphor to get to the heart of who we are money is a check money is a test he used it God used it in stories and that is actually the purpose of money hear me money is a tool to be used Oh, I hate to break it to you. Nowhere in your Bible does Jesus ever condemn being rich or having money. He never condemns it. Money is a tool to be used. Money is to be used and people are to be loved. I'm going to say it again. Money is to be used and people are to be loved. But if you ever flip that around and you start using people and loving money, that is when all kinds of evil will be promulgated in the earth because you're supposed to love people and use money but you're on a slippery slope of evil if you ever start using people and loving money some of y'all are like oh, doesn't the bible say that that money's the root of all evil no you misread the verse let's put it on the screen <laughs> bible never said money was evil let's look at what it says in first timothy verse six chapter six verse ten it says for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you see it right there? It's, it's not that money's bad. It's when you love it. It's when you fantasize about it. It's when all you think about is how to get more. It is the love of money. And it's interesting that it even connects it to the house of faith. So nobody escapes this. Oh, yes, ill get in your faith to where people who are supposed to reflect the character of God will start using people and loving money. Love of money is the root of all evil. What in the world would make a man who has a wife and a daughter participate in sex trafficking? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What would make a group of people rob an entire group of people of their heritage, put them in chains and on boats and bring them to another land to pick cotton and make them less than the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. God never condemns money, but when you love it, when it has your heart, that's when evil will occur. So money is always a check. Look at your neighbor and say, check yourself. Check yourself. I, I love it in, in Matthew chapter 6, and again, I'm just teaching today. If you want to shout, come tonight. Priscilla Shire, you'll shout tonight. I'm just teaching. But I love in Matthew chapter 6, many of you know it, if you've been raised in churches, the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus gives a series in a day. He just schizophrenic Jesus, jumping on all kinds of topics. And he actually talks about money in Matthew chapter 6. Look what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, that word makes me laugh. I feel like you got to say that like you're a cowboy. Vermin. <laughs> vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Ooh, look at the simplicity of this text. That's saying two different things. First of all, your heart will always show you where your treasure is. It's so simple. If I want to know what you value, let me see your checking account. I'll know whether it's Chipotle or whether it's Zara. Just let me see your checking account. And I will know what you value, where your treasure is, and where your heart is. But then he says this. He says, if you want to talk about treasure, store it up in heaven. And what he's trying to get believers to understand is that if we truly believe that life is eternal and this life on earth is temporary, why would you spend most of your energy and effort investing in things that are temporary? Why not invest in something that is going to last forever and that is eternal if you truly believe in eternity? That's what he's saying in the text. I love it. I was reminded of this story of a young man who worked at this luxury retail uh, store, and it was his last day, and he was annoyed, so he wanted to get at him. And so he actually, uh, on his last day, he switched all the tags uh, at the retail store. So he switched, like, expensive items. He put cheap price tags on them, and then cheap items, he put the most expensive price tag on it. So it caused mayhem at the store because people were looking at these expensive items like, are you for real? What kind of sale is this? <laughs> they were looking at cheap items going, is this what this really? Because he confused them all and caused mayhem in the store. And I wonder if that's what the enemy has done to us today, to where we don't really know what we should value we don't know what is truly precious and valuable because he's gotten our priorities and switched the tags around. And money is always a check. Which brings me to my text today. I love this passage. I love the way it starts off. It starts off with somebody falling at the feet of Jesus. If you read your Bible, you'll see there's so many instances where people fell at the feet of Jesus. Remember the woman caught... Was not caught in adultery. They threw her at his feet. But remember the woman that had an issue of blood, pressed her way through a crowd, broke all kinds of COVID-19 rules, was touching everybody just to get to the feet of Jesus. Remember that? So many people fell at the feet of Jesus. But what intrigued me about this one is who is falling at his feet this time. The Bible calls this man a rich, young ruler. This is the introduction. Jesus is on his way somewhere. This rich, young ruler falls at the feet of Jesus. This was intriguing to me. What in the world is a rich young ruler doing falling at the feet of Jesus? I get if you got an issue of blood. I get if you got a blind eye or a deaf ear. But how are you rich, you young, don't need Botox, and you're an influencer, and you're falling at the feet of Jesus? What would make a rich young ruler fall at the feet of Jesus? Because let's be honest, most of us come to Jesus in desperation. Oh, come on, somebody. Rare are the people who just won the lottery, got a brand new Tesla given to them, and got a raise, and said, you know, I think I'm going to go to church today. No, generally it's when you lost your job, the love of your life walked out on you, your kids are acting crazy, and your dog died. That you're like, oh, Lord, I ain't been to church since Easter 2013, but God, I need you today. Can we be honest? Come on, we generally come out of desperation. But it's intriguing to me that this rich Young ruler still comes to the feet of Jesus, and when he comes to inquire, he's going, I lack something. What, what can I do to get eternal life? There's something in my life that is lacking. Oh, that's what I love about life, is that even when you're in the bottom of life, and sometimes when you're in the penthouse suite, there is still this gnawing of your soul that says, there's something that I lack. There's still not enough. Oh, it can be a conundrum when everything externally looks like you should be good, you should be happy, but something on the inside of you is saying, 
There's something that I lack. And do you know why we get confused by those instances? It's because everybody gets messed up with this word right here. Ready? Drum roll. Brrr, appearance. Ooh, think about how much money, since we're talking about it, appearance has cost you. Just trying to look like you good. That is the greatest danger, is people trying to look like they good. Trying to look, rather than like trying to be good, it's the effort we put in trying to look like we good, trying to look like we got it all together. Do you know how much energy, how much money you wasted trying to look good, keeping up appearances? 80% of Americans are drowning in debt, can't act their wage, spent, you missed it, can't act their wage because you're spending more than you actually have trying to keep appearances. How you got a $50,000 car and you make $40,000 a year? Yeah, because you're trying to keep appearances. You Gucci head to the toes and your credit score is five. What is wrong with you? But they're trying to keep appearances. Nah, I'm good. Nah, look at me. Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, it's keeping an appearance. Even relationships. You know how many relationships fighting to keep up the image? And it's World War III in their house? It's interesting, I know so many friends I've prayed with in 2020 year, tore, 2020 tore their marriage apart. Tore their marriage apart. And you know what I found intriguing? Of all those couples, if you go to their social media page, there's not pictures of them looking at each other like. <laughs> there's no videos on their pages of them screaming at each other, talking about, I hate you. No, it's quite the opposite. Oh, love of my life. <laughs> this my boo. What are we doing? We're keeping appearances, trying to look like we're good. And this man comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not good. So tell me what I can do to inherit eternal life. Ooh, wrong question. He comes to Jesus. First words out of his mouth is, uh, good teacher. Let me back it up. Good teacher. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Because that's actually what religion wants to know. Religion wants to know, tell me what to do so I can be good. That's what religion does. He's so about money, his mind thinks transactional. Tell me what to do. I'm a businessman. You saw me on Forbes. Tell me what to do. Let's make a transaction. Because that's what religion always wants to know. What do I have to do? If I do this, what do I get? If I, if I do this, and we'll, we'll approach God like this. If you're not careful, I, well, I, I came to church, God. You see me, 9, 11, 30, and the 6 p.m. I triple dip. Okay, now, you know they're giving a raise next week. So. Isn't that what we do? Like, now, God, I worship. You, you saw me. You know, usually I'm just, I'm down here with it, but I was all up in here with it this time. But you know I got a bad doctor's report, so. That's my worship. God, I don't do something. That's what religion is. Religion always says, what I do? What, what I do? Because we want to put our record, and that's why you end up getting mad at God. Because whenever you do, and you do your part of the deal, and he doesn't do his part of the deal now, why aren't you holding up on your part of the deal? I did my, I did me, do you, God, come on. 
That's what religion wants. Religion wants to do. Religion wants to earn. And the first thing this man had to realize is you are not good by what you do. You are only good because of the perfect record of Jesus Christ. You can't earn salvation. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy grace. It is not your works. It is not your record. It is not your righteousness. How many you know it is the perfect record of Jesus Christ that gives us access into his presence? It ain't you and what you do. I'm getting excited off my own sermon. You can't come to him transactionally. Talking about what you do. You can't do anything to earn salvation. It is a free gift. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. He said, you can contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. So he comes to him thinking God will be an addition to his life. Saying, what, what, what do I do? Tell me what to do so I can be good. That's what religion says. And I love it because Jesus starts attacking his mindset of what good is. He goes, why are you calling me good? He said, you don't even know what good is. Because you think good is what you do. So before you even deal with what you're asking, let's change your concept of what good is. Because you think you're good. And you're not. That's what's funny about goodness and generosity. Most people think they're good. I mean, I ain't killing nobody. <laughs> Most people you talk to, they think they're good. Like, I mean, I ain't crazy. I mean, I might go off a little bit, but I ain't stab nobody. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? We, we do comparative goodness. We, we, ah, we start defining our goodness based off of what we didn't do. <laughs> Never mind you ain't done nothing, but I, I didn't do that. I mean, I didn't get drunk on Friday and Saturday just for... <laughs> oh, y'all better come get this mic. God is talking to me while I'm talking to y'all. I did not say that in the first service. We define our goodness based off of what we didn't do. Checklist. I didn't do that. Oh, I ain't never done that. Ooh, you been with that many people? No, I ain't been with that many people. Is that, is that the litmus test for good? <laughs> what you didn't do? <gasps> so God said, let's reframe what good is. The only person that is inherently good is God. Hi, and that's me. That's what he's trying to get him to understand. The only person that is inherently good is God. That's why it's interesting when people, especially if they're struggling with faith and don't acquiesce to the fact that there is a God, you often hear this question, oh, what about when bad things happen to good people? And my question to that is, who is good? Because the only one that is intrinsically good is God. And never, never judge your goodness based off of what you didn't do. Because you don't know what scenario you might be in that would make you do the thing you thought you would never do. Many are the murderers who have walked into situations that they did not realize that was in them until they saw it. So never define your goodness by what you didn't do. So he says, uh, yeah, what do I need to do? Good teacher. And so Jesus, he's so kind. He says, oh, well, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. He says, love the Lord. You're God. No, he didn't give him that one. Let's put it on the screen before I mess up the commandments. This is what he says. He says, you know the commandments. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, you know what? It's interesting that Jesus would choose those six of the ten. Because those six of the ten are the six commandments that deal with our relationships with each other. He skips 
the first four that deal with our relationship with God. Because how many of you know you have to start vertical before you go horizontal? You cannot do those six until you first get the first ones right, your relationship with him. And since he has predicated his whole life about what's good, Jesus purposely mentions those right there to say, you can't do those. You can't do that. You, you, you cannot do those until you get the first one right. That's why when he breaks down the 10 to 2, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself. And then love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, 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 no. It starts with the first. But even after he gives those, homeboy still doesn't get it. Because look at his answer. <laughs> he says, uh, I've kept all those since I was young. Really, bro? You've been perfect since you were young? You've kept up? Yeah, I mean, I've never murdered anybody. Oh, you're talking about external. Have you ever had hate in your heart? I've never committed adultery. You've never lusted after a woman in your heart? He's focused on the external, not the internal. And what would make a man in the presence of Jesus say, I'm good, I'm perfect? I'll tell you what it is. It's the treasure trap. It's money. Money has a power, hear me, to change the way you see yourself and change the way you see situations. Money has a power to change your eyes and ultimately changes your entire body and life. I'm telling you. Give a scripture for it. Okay, I'll give you a scripture for it. In the same verse, please don't miss this. In the same verse in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus starts talking about storing up treasures in heaven, I want you to see what he says in verses 22 through 24. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Hold on, I thought we were talking about money. No, I am. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He starts talking about money, and then starts talking about your eyes because money affects what you see. And then the climactic conclusion is you can't serve God and money. In other words, money is a master. You can either serve money or money serve you, but there is no in-between. Money God, pick one. So the people that say, oh, money won't change me, that lets me know. You know, it wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't have an illustration. If you telling me money won't change you, that lets me know you're already in the trap. You're already trapped because money is so powerful. It'll change the way you see. It'll change the way you look at people. It'll change the way you look at yourself. Ooh, I got like five billion illustrations for this. And money changes the way people look at themselves. Have you ever, let's, let's just play around with it. Have you ever seen, like, gone to a store, like a luxury store, and seen the people working there? And I mean, just pretentious, pompous, just like, ugh, do you even have any money? They don't say that, but their face says that. <laughs> because they're in those valuable goods. 
and they see it all the time, and it's changed the way they even look. They start analyzing people when they come in. Oh, he ain't got no money. He, she ain't got no. It, it'll change the way you see yourself. It's funny. Our culture is real good at this. You ever seen somebody that has gotten a lot of money based off of their gift that they didn't work for? God just gave it. They might have honed it, but God just went, here you go. God is so generous. I'm telling you, oh, I'm petty. If I was God and I knew you weren't going to give your life to me, you would not get no voice that could sing. Oh, you would hit bad notes every single time. Ain't no way he just gives gifts to people and like, do what you want with it. Do what you want. Some people, the very gift he gave them, they are blaspheming him with the gift he gave. Oh, I couldn't do it. But he's so generous. Just take it. Do what you want. You see people that ever amass wealth through the gift God gave them. And all of a sudden, because they were good at like, I don't know, racquetball. You're making $5.1 million a year from racquetball, right? But now you make so much money about racquetball. You ever see it? They'll start giving you their opinion on like who to vote for. <laughs> you didn't even graduate high school. Failed every history class. And I'm supposed to listen to you because you got how many followers and because you made, you play racquetball? You're going to tell me how to vote? Why? Because money changes the way you see yourself. You'll assume because I'm good at this, I'm good at everything. Because I was great in this area, I'll be great in this area. Money changes the way you see. Well, money changes the way you see what you have. It changes the way you see what you have. Here's what's interesting about money. This will happen on every level. Whenever you start making more money, you start doing things and going places you couldn't afford before. And when you start doing it, that thing is a luxury. How's it a luxury? Because you wasn't doing it before. <laughs> Come on, you weren't always saying a sparkling water. <laughs> it's a luxury. It's a luxury. How's it a luxury? Because you weren't doing it before. But now you got a little bit more money, and now you start doing it. And what's scary about it is now the luxury will become a necessity. So now what was once a luxury? You got to have it. Because money will change the way you see what you have. Ooh, I love when y'all get quiet. Because I know that message is just... I know you can't talk, tell on you. I'll tell on me. I'll tell on me. Let me fillet myself for you. I'll never forget. Pastor Taylor will corroborate this story. I will never forget the first time I got a call to preach in Australia. Never forget. We had just got married. First time to preach in Australia. In Australia? A brother from Dallas, Texas, somebody's flying me 17 hours to go preach in Australia. Just, I was, you, could have, you should have saw me on that plane. I could not wait to get off. I'm like, let me see a kangaroo. I'm going to start preaching these kangaroos. <laughs> get that stuff out your pouch. There's another level you can hop to. I mean, I was so, I was so, so hyped. Australia? Passport ministry. I've been saying my ministry was international for years, but now I'm like, it's for real now. We go to Australia, I'm so hyped, we're so hyped. Remember, we was economy, economy to Australia, 17-hour flight, but loving life, loving life. Pastor Taylor, she had a big old box of cinnamon toast crunch on the plane. Because you know, economy, they just give you that little bit of thing. She's like, no, they ain't going to get me. Had a big old box of cinnamon toast crunch. We are loving it on the plane. Preaching Australia, God did awesome things. Got back, went so good, I got invited back to a bigger church in Australia, and they said, we're going to bring you back, and we're going to cover two business class tickets. Y'all, <laughs> when your boy went from economy to, I 
didn't know what they did up there. I didn't know. It was a veil. You know they got the veil. <laughs> that you can't afford a veil. <laughs> and we got a mean story is they close it real good. Like... Yeah, I'm sorry, your bathroom is back there. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, I didn't know what they did up there. We got... <laughs> We got in that business class, yo. <laughs> I said, babe, these seats go all the way back. Plush down feather comforter. Uh, they, they brought slippers. Here's your pajamas. I said, what is this? Full on menu and everything. Oh, and once that happened once, I said, I can't go back. That's not my call. I said, I can't go back. Because of luxury, if you're not careful, starts becoming a necessity. Starts becoming a necessity. Do you know how many people are discontent right now because of a luxury? Oh, God, you're still talking to me while I'm talking to them. Money changes your circle. So here's what happens. You start getting money. You start hanging out with people that have more money. And once you get with those people that have money, then they are breathing billboards for what you don't have. And it happens on every level. So the dude that don't got a car is talking to the dude that has a raggedy car. And the dude that's got a raggedy car is in a circle with the dude that's got a nice car. And the dude that's got a nice car is in a circle with the dude that has several nice cars. And the dude that's got several nice cars is with the dude that is trying to get a house that has enough garages for several nice cars. And the dude that has the house that has all the garages for the several nice cars is talking to the dude that has a plane. And the dude that has a plane is talking to the dude that just got a yacht. And the dude that has a yacht is talking to a dude that just got his own private island. It just keeps going! It never stops! So I'm telling you, the challenge of money, and if you don't understand its power, you're already in the trap. It's interesting, as a pastor, people will come to you and they'll share, and I count it a privilege. By the way, keeping appearances, you're only as sick as your secrets. So rather than pretending like you're good, why don't you talk to somebody you can trust and really tell them what's going on? But it's funny, the people that will come to you and share stuff, struggling with pornography, struggling with lust, about to have an affair, gambling, got anger issues, been abusing my spouse, all kinds of stuff. But you know what? You will rarely hear somebody come and tell you as a pastor, pastor, pray for me. What you need praying for? I'm greedy. Struggling with greed. You will rarely hear anybody say that. Because how do you quantify greed? What is it? Like, you know when that's not your spouse. <laughs> Like, that's not an accident, okay? <laughs> Don't try for, oh, I didn't know you. No, that's no. You know when you lied. But what is greed? Two pairs of shoes? Five pairs of shoes? Three jackets? Eight golf clubs? Six video games? What's the number? I'm asking. You don't know. And what's funny is you'll see people who will judge the thing that's not their thing. I would never pay that for shoes. Yes, let me create a whole account about it. 
as I, as I, as I judge you on the iPhone that costs the same amount as the shoes you bought, but I would never. <laughs> I'm just saying. Greed is the secret sin. Greed is the sin that is so sick that you won't even know when you're in the trap until it's too late. Greed will only say one thing to you. If you get that, you'll be happy. You should get that too. Well, I got it. I know, but you need that. Well, I got it. Yeah, but there's a new one. Get that. Oh, but I got that. Yeah, but you don't have it like they have it. Get that. Before you know it, you're caught in the trap. Worship team, join me. This guy didn't even know he was in the trap until Jesus. Watch this. I love it because Mark is the only gospel writer that says this. It says Jesus looked at him with love. He loved him. Hear me, this is not a message of condemnation. I'm talking to you as somebody that has had to check myself all the time. To ask myself, am I in the trap? Because you can be in the trap and not know it. That's what scares me. I ask myself all the time. God, would I, would I still preach as passionately if the reward for preaching wasn't a check? But I was in underground China and the reward for preaching the message was just that I was alive. Would I still do it? If you don't wrestle with those kind of questions, you're already in the trap. And this man didn't even know he was in the trap until Jesus looks at him with love. I love it because that word looks means he looked intently at him. Which, by the way, Jesus is the only person that can see into you, and yet he still loves you. Can see all your stuff and still loves you. He loved this rich young ruler. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. The Bible says that this man, upon hearing that, walked away sad and his face fell the English or rather Greek translation of sad is a weak translation it says that the man was sad so you picture the guy just going oh, and walking away no it's deeper than that this was he grieved his entire countenance fell the only other time in scripture that we see that word sad or sorrow coincidentally is in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood and his soul was sorrowful sad same word unto death and the question has to be asked what are you sorrowful about Jesus are you sorrowful about the nails that are going to go in your hands and your feet? Are you sorrowful about the crown of thorns that they are going to not just put on your head, but beat into your head? Are you sad about the cat of nine tails that is going to rip out your flesh? What are, what are you sad about? It's not the pain of the cross. 
because never on the cross does he say my head my head or my foot my foot or my side my side no he says my God my God why have you forsaken me that's what he was afraid of in the garden he was not afraid of the pain of the cross he was afraid for the first time in his life he had never been separated from his father for the first time in his life the father was going to turn his back on the son not because of his sin but because of my sin because of your sin that's what he was afraid of it wasn't the pain of the cross it was the separation from the only place that he had ever found security in his identity that was Jesus trap his trap was in the love of the father and he could not be separated from his love. That was his treasure. Your treasure is, is your trap. You know why he turned away sorrowful? Because money was his master. His sense of self-worth, his sense of identity, and it's deeper than money. It can be your kids, it can be your job, it can be your career. It is the thing that to lose it, you would say, oh my goodness, I can't live. Whatever that is, that's the trap. And if you're not aware of it, you're already trapped. This man missed out on the greatest opportunity. He could have been the 13th disciple. This man could have said, I didn't just hear his sermons. I didn't just see the miracles. I walked with him. I was there with him every single day. He, we could have read a book in the Bible from the rich young ruler. He missed out on the greatest discipleship and internship with the creator of the universe. Why? Because money was his master. Jesus doesn't say you can't be rich, but he does give a warning that if your treasure is in money or in anything besides me, just know that that will trap you. If you're living for the approval of other people, you will die from it when somebody rejects you. If you're living for your good looks and the acceptance you get, I'm sorry, you're getting older every day and there's only so much plastic surgery you can do. If it's in a relationship, been somebody other than Jesus. It's a trap. But when he is my treasure, the trap is the only trap that brings freedom. Would you stand to your feet today? And as every head be bowed and all eyes be closed. Father, today I'm not just preaching this message to my brothers and my sisters. God, I'm preaching it to me. God, you are my treasure. God, I pray you would help us, help us as a community to stop placing our hopes and our dreams into treasures that would leave us trapped. God, help us to see that you are the prize and you are the only thing that we need. God, I thank you that even if we are trapped, that there's still hope, that you're not looking at us with eyes of condemnation. You're actually looking at us with eyes of love. 
still saying what you said to that man and what you said to 12 disciples whose lives were turned upside down. Come and follow me. Come follow me. God, help us to see that you are the reward. You're everything that we'll need. We sing it all the time. But God, let the connection between our head and our heart join. God, we give you permission to tear down the things that we keep trying to find our treasure in until all our fountains are in you. I'd like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.